friends, welcome to Sky House Herbs Podcast. I'm Ashley Ellenboss, a clinical herbalist, and in this space, I share my knowledge and experience with plant medicine to help you on your own journey of healing and transformation. Join me in exploring the ancient wisdom of plant spirit medicine and how it can be used to heal the body, mind, and spirit. We'll talk to experts in the field and share stories from people who've been transformed by powerful plant allies. New episodes are released each Monday, so please subscribe. And now, let's explore this mystical world of plant medicine together. Hey, everyone. Welcome in. Today, we have a very full episode for you. We will be talking about Indigenous Aboriginal Australian culture. We'll be talking about bee balm, echinacea, and death and space and time, right? Um all things I am just so interested in <laughs> at this moment. And I'll tell you a little bit more why now, you know, why are all these things just really strong right now? A little bit about the astrology of why, and then we'll dive into each of those. Uh, before we do, I would love if you could just take one minute and click the subscribe button that will help you to follow me and more kind of out there and in their conversations about plants, cosmology, spirituality, uh, and it'll help other people find me too, so that we can grow this community. And um, I was listening to this podcast recently called Awaye, um, and it features, they interview Indigenous or Aboriginal Australian um, contemporary thinkers, seekers, dancers, singers, artists. And um, I was listening to this one show where they were interviewing a dancer who's from the Torres Strait region in Australia. And she's an indigenous uh, indigenous person from the Torres Strait Islands. And she was saying, and I just loved this. And I was like, this is what I want to do too. So I don't know if you guys know this, but um, in Australia, they're losing a lot of land because of the rising of the sea. Not only are they losing a lot of the Great Barrier Reef because of bleaching and the ocean uh, heat increasing, but they're also losing islands. And so the people of the Torres Strait Islands, um, their literal land, their their homeland is disappearing. And so this um, artist and screenwriter and dancer was talking about what do you do when your physical land that is part of your being starts to disappear? And, um, you know, she was born on the mainland, but all of her, you know, her people come from, her ancestors come from the Torres Strait Islands. And she was saying how it's, it's really hard because in their particular, in their culture, the land, they have story places. They have places on the actual land. They're called storylines or song lines where you can only tell certain stories and sing certain songs in particular places on the land where these lines, these um, these energies run through because that's where the songs come from is from the land and from this intersection of land and sky. So what happens when those actual places start to disappear? And so her work, she said, is she's like, you know, I can't change the collective consciousness, but I can create small communities of people who have a shift in consciousness. So she's like, you know, I I know that I'm I I can't affect, you know, millions and millions of people with my voice and my work, 
but I could create collective communities of people who have a different kind of consciousness. And I was like, yes. So I am hoping through my work, talking with you all each week through the courses I teach to create a collective consciousness shift around how we view the planet, how we view ourselves and how we view plants. So I am very excited for this episode because what I feel like it is, is it's this accumulation of several decades of work and thinking into, um, you know, a very, um, <laughs> uh, we'll call it um, abbreviated thought process that I hope will help your consciousness join the consciousness of many others who I swear to you are thinking the same way you are. Okay. So I'm hoping that we can create a little web in which, or like a tapestry that we can all feel like we're a part of in this work of trying to make a positive change on this planet and evolving our consciousness and connecting it more deeply to plant consciousness. Okay. <laughs> so with that, <laughs> subscribe to join, um, like this video if you find it helpful. And now let's talk about, I want to share with you why this is important to me. And then that might help you understand and maybe gain a little bit more value from today's episode. So when I was 21, uh, I I really have always loved Australia. I don't know what it is about Australia, but ever since I was a child, I just was very attracted to the country and the land. And I, when I, so when I was a sophomore in college, um, there was an opportunity to study abroad in Australia. So I did it. I took, um, I signed up and for a, one, one semester, so like six months to study in the Northern uh coastal region, the East Coast, Northeast Coast of Australia, which was is the region of Queensland, and specifically at James Cook University, which is in Townsville, which is a pretty small town, <laughs> Townsville. Brownsville is what they also call it because it's very, very, very dry. Um, but it's 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 pretty far north um, in in Australia. So we studied there for six months and uh, loved it so much. And during our spring break, you know, a lot of people went to the beaches and they went to, you know, party. And for me on spring break, um, me and my friend, Anne, we rented a car and we drove further north towards the Dane, Daintree rainforest. And while we were there, um, we took plant hikes and I picked up this little booklet a guide to traditional Aboriginal rainforest plant, plant use because I was into herbalism already at that point. Um, I we did a few rainforest hikes with um, Aboriginal people um, from the Mossman Gorge region. Um, we hiked, we camped, we stayed. We we went to um, we stayed at a few different places where um, they had like traditional food and. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. So instead of going home after that semester, I decided to stay on for a second semester and travel down to Melbourne or Melbourne, as the Westerners say uh, on this side of the globe. Um, I lived in Melbourne for uh, six months and then traveled down and explored. And during that time, I, in the, at the uni there, um, I studied Aboriginal um, culture, folklore, um, 
civil rights and, you know, kind of what the status is? Because I was so curious, like, well, you know, is this sort of like what happened to the Native Americans here in North America, you know? Um, and the stories are similar and different. Um, and the trajectory is similar um, and different. And I, I don't want to go into all the politics of that because that's really makes me angry. <laughs> um, but what I do want to share with you is what I learn while having my feet on that land and what I learned having my head in that atmosphere and my and my skin in that sun. And it was probably, you know, at 21, it was one of the most transformational experiences of my life because I entered into a different time space awareness. And I don't think I realized how important it was until fast forward, you know, 20, three years later, 22 years later, as I'm sitting here in my 44-year-old body, what, how much that influenced the way I experienced time and space and how much that experience helped me to step out of more linear and um, Western type of thinking. Now, <laughs> I'm not saying like I totally transcended anything and I'm still very much fig trying to figure all this out. But one thing that I really learned when I was living in Australia was that the way we perceive time and what is a good use of time is very different. And this was especially true when I was up in Townsville and, um, what I noticed was a lot of the Australians, the Australian culture, they are about enjoying time rather than being effective. You know, the idea of being like ambitious and going after dreams, that wasn't really the way they went about life. It was, you have an interest and you just, you point your ship in that direction. And then you have, you just let the ship take you. You let the, you, you, you understand you're, you're in a current and you're pointed in a direction and by the willingness of all things around you, you will get there. But it's not because of your own willpower. It's not because of you pushing or making progress. It's not because you stay up all night studying um, or, you know, it's not, it's not all in your hands. And I just remember one of the things that they would ask, like as an American, you know, one of the things that they would Australians would ask when you would meet them out, you know, in a class or at a bar or like wherever was, um, so what do you do for fun? <clears throat> and that was so different from what I was used to in, you know, the East Coast, Washington, D.C., Baltimore area, which is like, what are you studying? What are you going to do with your life? You know, what do you want to be? Or, um, you know, yeah, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing that's going to be productive? And not, what do you do for fun? Like, who are you? Like, who are you, right? Like the question of, how do you enjoy yourself? Like, what are the things you enjoy? Because if you really think about it, doesn't that tell you so much more about a person and their heart, right? Than just telling someone what you do, because sometimes what you end up doing isn't who you, well, a lot of times isn't who you are. You know, some, some people it is like for me, you know, I'm an herbalist, um, and that is who I am. And I'm actually a lot more than that. Like I do a lot of other things for fun, like play guitar and go on hikes and walks. And I like to do art and, you know, um, yeah, I, I started knitting, which has been really fun. So there's a lot more 
to a person than just what they do for their work. And, and that was like mind blowing for me. Now, circling back, I, I went to uh, the, the reason why this is kind of circled back in my life right now is um, my daughter, who is an artist, she is eight years old in second grade. She has known since she was little that she's going to be an artist when she grows up. And so her art teacher, um, I, I asked her art teacher, you know, I noticed that there was a parent in one day helping. And I said, you know, I would love to come and help because I knew it would mean something to my daughter. And I love being involved in my daughter's school. So the teacher said, yeah, she's like, have you ever traveled anywhere that made an impact? And maybe you can talk about where you've been in the world and maybe any art that really inspired you while you were there. And I instantly was like, well, I lived in Australia for a year and that artwork was profoundly impactful. And so I started doing some research, like kind of looking back through my photo albums. Um, I started listening to podcasts and um, doing some research back into the culture and the consciousness of the Aboriginal Australian people and like, you know, their, their cosmology, because I learned a lot about it when I was there. And then, you know, how it is, you know, when you leave a place, a land, sometimes you can forget. So I wanted to share with you this piece of art from Australia. And I brought this into Virginia's school. And one thing that's really interesting, you'll notice that's very um, common in Aboriginal art is that they use dots. But here's the thing that's really different from our consciousness here, I think in the West, to that it compared to their consciousness. Well, first I wanna say is that Aboriginal Australians have been living on that land and painting for the oldest artwork that they found in caves dates back to between 30,000 and 50,000 years ago. And, you know, artifacts from that their people go back older than 100,000 years. So this culture, the Aboriginal Australian culture, is the oldest existing living culture on this planet, uninterrupted. I mean, interrupted in some ways, yes, but still existing and still living on the land and in their, holding their worldview, um, that is still existing. That's still happening out in the outback, in the in the deep bush, and in the deserts, and and in in the rainforests of Australia. So here's the interesting thing, is that in these paintings, the indigenous Aboriginal people focus more on the space than on the dots. So when we when I look at this, I see dots, but from the indigenous perspective, they see the space. And one thing that I thought was really interesting as I was doing research is that they're often tracking the movement of space and not the movement of objects. So when they look at the night sky and they see all the stars in the sky, they don't see the stars. They see the shapes and the spaces around the stars. So when they're tracking the sky, they're tracking space not the object. And it just made me think about the idea, you know, in physics, this idea of wave versus particle, right? Like we can look at light and we can see it as a particle or we can see it as a wave. And so, but we often get very fixated on this idea of it being a particle, right? And like, we can measure it, we can look at it, we can dissect it, we can take it apart. But, you know, also, what about the wave? And, and in this case, what about the space? And so one of the things that's really interesting in their art is that they will sometimes not draw the object 
in the space, but the space around it. So for example, if a kangaroo is jumping, they will focus on, on, on shaping the space around the kangaroo and its movement through space. So you get this sense of continuous movement, but not necessarily of the object, right? So a focus more on space than particle. And this has been blowing my mind over the last few days as I've been sitting and looking at this painting and reflecting on what this means, what this means and, and how this can shift and shape the way we are in the world. And, you know, one of the things that the Aboriginal people would do when they, this, this is a fact that just, again, all these things are just like making my, my brain so happy and my heart so happy. So Carl Jung, who was a student of Sigmund Freud, who probably a lot of you know in, in psychology is responsible for a lot of a lot of amazing work and and um, you know theory in terms of of psychology and and the mind. And um, Carl Jung was fascinated by the Aboriginal Australians, and one of the main reasons he was so fascinated was because you know, the the um, anthropologists discovered that they really, that the indigenous Australians only spend about three to four hours a day hunting, gathering, preparing, like doing the essentials for life and for survival. And he said, well, what do they do with the rest of the day? What do they do with the other 18 hours? And this was what was so captivating to him was that those other hours were spent in creative spaces of creative consciousness where they would play instruments, sing, dance, and do art to connect with the space, to connect back to the place that they came from. And they called this place the dreamy or the dream time. And they, I remember when I lived in Australia, one of the images that captured my heart so much was the this rainbow serpent. And they, the way that, that I understand it is that, you know, you have this field of consciousness, right? This field, you could call it God, God consciousness or this great field. And then the rainbow serpent comes into the visible world. And this is like time, this is time. And it's also our lifetime and our bodies. And then you can think about maybe this is the horizon line. So it comes into our waking life, our consciousness, our ability to visualize it. And then the snake, the rainbow snake goes under to the underworld where it is still just as real, but it's existing in a different state of consciousness, a different realm. And then it comes back up over the surface and down. So it has this continuous, you know, into, into sight, out of sight, into sight, out of sight. And that was how they viewed reality. And so the dream we you know when you're dreaming or when you're in an altered state of consciousness, they were trying to connect back to what is happening in the space below conscious awareness or seeing visual awareness, tactile, you know, all of the senses that create just part of reality. And so imagine a culture that for 18 hours of the day, their focus was on going back into a state of consciousness in which they could experience the mystery, that they could experience everything that is unseen. 
And um, the interesting thing too, is they didn't have entheogenic plants. So they weren't using mushroom, psilocybin, you know, ayahuasca. They were using music, rhythm, drums, and art to go into these altered states. Or I, I don't want to think of them as altered. It's almost like super conscious states, right? Like, like they were going into almost a more conscious state, right? Like <laughs> a hyper-conscious state, a, a, a state of consciousness that we wish we could be in. This is what the yogis, right? Like I think a lot of humans would are have been across the globe trying to enter back into this supra-consciousness state. So they spent majority of their time as a culture exploring those realms. And you know, it just made me think, I, I shared this with the children um, in my daughter's second grade class. I said, you know, they they did the basics. They took care of themselves. They hunted and gathered and, you know, made things they needed to for three hours. And I said, do you know what they did with the rest of the time? And they had all these guesses. I said, no, they just, they got, they played and they worked in creative spaces so that they could connect to this force that created them. And they were all like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, they're, I mean, these kids are way closer to that playful, creative, super conscious state, I think, than many adults were sort of trained to leave that, to come into the more mundane, physical, material world um, if we let them. <laughs> so the So the kids were just totally, like they were captivated by this idea. And I said to them, you know, the Aboriginal people, when they would do art in these states, it would be quiet and they would each individually gather the information and the inspiration from this great cosmic mind, this great, great mysterious force. And each of them would create something through their, through these dots. They would explore something that was only available to them. And no one could replicate each other's art or style. It was just, you, you wouldn't, you don't do that. That's disrespectful to the spirit because it's giving you through your own individual body, something that is unique, that needs to come through. And so what we did is we put on some very relaxing music and the kids all did created, they worked with this idea of space and dots. And, you know, when the timer went off for them to stop, a lot of them didn't. They, instead of going into free workspace, they all stayed and they were very focused. And the teacher was like, this is amazing. I've never seen them. They're so calm. She's like, I feel calm. I feel like I needed this. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I think we all need this. We all need to be reminded of the space and to tap into it and to realize that our bodies are these vessels that are uniquely built for unique expression. And, um, the other thing I shared with the kids that, um, you know, we'll see if any parents call call me about this, but I said, you know, I, I told them about the rainbow serpent and how it comes into reality, then it goes back into the mystery and it's, and when people die, you know, when they, when people would die, um, they, for three days, they would mourn and grieve and then they would burn all of their belongings and then they would not speak their name again because it was considered to be disrespectful because that person was still there, but they were just down in a different dimension. So it's disrespectful to talk about, to gossip about Joe, if Joe's no longer there and Joe can hear, Joe is, a, he's around, 
but he has gone into a different state. So let Joe be with the other ancestors, right? Like they're living in a different world. You can tap into that world, right? When you go into that conscious state, when you're trying to go in, yeah, you can connect into it. But when you're up in this waking life, don't bring him, you know, why don't bring him back? He's all, you know, it's, it, I just was like, wow. And that all of life, all things that live and die, um, they understood it from this very macrocosmic level of, you know, understanding the impermanence and the permanence at the exact same time and how to honor both fully, like fully, like full respect and love and appreciation for the different realms that we get to inhabit as humans with our unique human consciousness. And so I just thought that was really beautiful too. Um, and then, yeah, they, they don't use that name. They won't name another child that, that name for several generations because, you know, that child, uh, that soul will come back eventually and then the name will come back, but it won't be until, you know, everyone is passed <laughs> and then that, you know, and then it will come that, that soul will come back into a body and we, that name can be used again. So anyway, I'm just, I am, I am so enjoying learning more about this view of reality. And I've been really implementing it into my experience of how I use my time. And Adam and I were talking about this. And I guess in the Greek system, they have Kronos and Kairos as the two gods of time. And Kronos is the god of time where time is linear. It's like, you know, I've got plans. I got to pick up the kids. I've got to, you know, do the laundry. I've got to get the dog's nails cut. You know, like these are my linear to do things. And then I think it's Kairos is the god of time, which is like space. So it's like when you're in a creative zone, and time is this experience of, of like spaciousness. And um, that is also time, but it's a different quality of time, right? And I am so comfortable living in Kronos. And um, I think honestly, this comes from, <laughs> from um, my own issues with control, which I am always working on. And I think this is a very Western type A type of thing, which is like, if I don't keep my, if I don't stay in Kronos, if I don't stay linear all the time, I might miss something. Then I'll get in trouble or I'll let someone down or I'll be a failure. So I need to not let myself go into that spacious open space because I could get lost there. And I think for me, because I, you know, I think for me, I get afraid I'll never come back. <laughs> like if I go into an open, spacious, creative space, you know, what if I don't return? What if I don't, what if I can't, pull it back together. I'm, I'm way better at that now. I feel like something happened in the last maybe four to five years where I, I can definitely go into creative zones way easier. And I know I'm going to come back. <laughs> I think for a while it was like, it was, it was touchy, but I'm, you know, I, I feel way more equipped to really relax and open. And now I'm like, now that I've been studying this and I'm just like, again, like I'm just immersing myself and reading and listening I am, I am realizing what a more, um, how much more richness there is in living in that, living in space and experiencing the spaciousness of a moment than the linear constrictive 
energy of that space. Um, so that was a lot. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going, I'm, I'm here with you all just, just speaking what is inspiring me. I would love to hear your thoughts about this. Um, now I wanted to talk about a few plants that I think, you know, I was looking through my books from when I was in Australia and you, we, we can't access a lot of these plants, like a lot of the myrtles and the wild Australian mints. If you live in Australia, try to find some mentha australis. Um, it's the native mint to Australia. That would be a great plant for opening up this type of consciousness and to experience this the the space i think i feel like mints across the board are very dispersive opening and expanding now if you live in north america if you live in europe or you know you're in bali i don't know <laughs> you could be anywhere else there are a few other plants so i would say yes just you know whatever native mint you can find Try to get your hands on that and try to work with that daily to help you experience this opening. The plant that I really love that's indigenous to where my ancestors from this part of the world come from is Monarda fistulosa or bee balm. And bee balm um, is, I'm, I taught a class on this at the last um, Good Medicine Confluence in Colorado. And this is an incredible herb for diffusing tension, stress, and anger. And anger that's often directed inward that can then turn outward in terms of sharp words. It clears space. It was used by the um, Muscogee people um, of North America. Um, they would boil it in pots and the steam, if there was a fight in a in a home or like, you know, in, in their dwelling, they would boil water and then throw the bee balm or the Monarda fistulosa leaves and flowers in. And it was, it would bring, it would disperse and bring the bad spirits and the anger out of that living space because it can poison. I mean, I, I really do believe in um, words having um, weight. So if, if there's been a lot of heavy words spoken in a space, it's important to clear the space. <laughs> so you could burn, you know, you could also use, I think, um, eucalyptus, a lot of these really strong aromatic plants, tea tree, you could also burn uh, mint, right? A lot of the mint family plants will also be dispersive. So you want to dry them and then boil the, boil the leaves and flowers. But Monarda fistulosa, um, gosh, this plant is just, um, I really feel like it is, um, it, it, what it looks like the flower is it looks almost kind of like these, uh, little, uh, kind of explosions of starlight. It has this light purple flower and it's like a fraggle. It has these like little things, these little things that poke out in all directions and the bees love it. So it's actually a bunch of little flowers on a circular um, root base or uh, stem base. And it's a wonderful plant for the native pollinators of this region here in the Midwest. And I grew it in my Maryland, in my Maryland garden too. So you can grow Monarda fistulosa most places in the temperate climates, but it really grows native here in the, in the Midwest and up North um, on the Northeast. I think that anytime and any and, and oh, I wanted to say this too, that 
when I was talking with my husband about this, you guys probably know my husband is Adam Ellenboss. He's the lead teacher at Nightlight Astrology and the founder of Nightlight Astrology. As an astrologer, he was saying, you know, it's really interesting that you're thinking of all of this because Pluto is about to move into Aquarius. And he said, you know, this is kind of an interesting, this is, you know, Pluto has been in Capricorn for like 20 some years, right? And so it's moving now into Aquarius and Pluto is like the God of the underworld. And Aquarius is the, the kind of um, super consciousness of the mind and communal thinking. It's very much um, a sign of, uh, of, of the higher mind of education um, and collective collective ideas and, and and collective elevation. So what happens when you have the God of the underworld in the sign of the collective upper world? Well, you have an exploration of space, of the space between. And he was saying that in ancient Greek, um, they also had, um, they also would see, I forget the you, you, you should listen to, I'll put a link to my husband's talk on Pluto and Aquarius because he talks about this in his video. But this idea of the exploration of space that Hades, um, the god of the underworld, his realm was not just, in the, by the ancient Greeks, it wasn't just seen as below the earth, but it was seen as the stars and the space between the stars above so that the dark of night was also the world of Hades was the dark realm. And I think there's a lot we can start to think about differently now that Pluto is moving into Aquarius. And yes, I feel like there's been themes of like death and loss. And especially I've had a number of people I know lose children lately, which is just like breaks my heart. And I have been like, just moved to tears a lot lately. Like even just listening to the podcasts of the struggles of the Aboriginal Australians, because just a lot of loss, a lot of, a lot of darkness. We're coming on a, a, an election year here in the United States. And I am afraid I am, I, there is just a lot of dark energy and um, there's also a lot of hope in the darkness. Um, a lot of people that are carrying light in the darkness. So my, one of the things um, that I have really been stepping into is this idea of what is my part? Like if I can stand in the big open dark sky, if I can stand in the realm of Hades and in the realm of the mystery and in the realm of Pluto and just say, what you got for me? <laughs> like, how can you use me to create fertile ground to grow something new for the collective? And I pray on that a lot and I'm continuing to pray on that. But I, I do think that hopefully this podcast and, and um, I'm going to be teaching my, um, I'm, I'm coming back to teaching my herbal apprenticeship in the spring. We're hoping to launch it in April um, in a new format that I just, I want to like bring a pod of people together so that they feel like they are connected, they're not alone, that they can hold the light in their own unique way and be celebrated for it. And that there is darkness and it is okay. You know, we need the darkness too. 
um, and to not be discouraged by death and by darkness and by loss and by grief, um, that we can hold it in a way that can be fertile. And um, it's not easy. I, it is not easy. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy ask, but I do ask you all to try. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, because we need, we need this now. The land needs this. And as you know, the Aboriginal Australians, every, every place on the earth has its own song. And they believe that if you stop singing the songs of the land and the animals, they'll disappear. And I think about that as we, we lose the names of birds and trees and plants, as people forget the names of things, that these things will disappear. And I don't know about literally, but certainly in our minds, they will. And so it is really important that each of us pays attention to what speaks to us, what in nature is something we are inspired to protect, inspired to speak back into existence, um, because that is the only way these things will persevere through darkness and through space and time is if we stay connected to them. And we feel that there is a connection, a web that is holding us all together too, and that we don't lose hope in that web. Um, I was going to talk about echinacea um, as well. And I'll just say this about echinacea as a plant is that it's also very, it's very expansive. Um, and so if you, if you want to work, if you can't find a mint or you can't find bee balm, um, echinacea is also called the flower of wholeness. And it can help return us to a sense of feeling whole in our purpose. It moves blocks and stagnation. It helps our immune system to become more activated. It helps us to find the fire and the spark so that we can use our energy for a purpose. And um, there is a, an Aboriginal Australian word um, that is used to help motivate the children in um in australia in the on the on the west coast um and i'm not going to pronounce this but i'll include a link to the podcast where you can hear this word and how they're using it um they're teaching the indigenous people that are um that are getting western schooling some of these these words and i feel like just hearing the words of these ancient ancient people inspires something in me to stand up, to not be lazy, to make a change, do some work, to do something good. And um, so please listen to that podcast um, and, and listen to that word being spoken into space so that you can feel that bringing the life force up in you as well. So thank you all for your, <laughs> for sticking with me um, through this exploration. Let me know your thoughts. You know, if you have time today, maybe just sit in spaciousness and see if you can just even for a few moments and it's not like sit for two minutes and set a timer no that's not that's the opposite of what i'm saying just take moments just sit in the space of time for as long as is open for you and try to feel what is unseen and what is 
holding all of the material stuff together. And with that, I close. Thank you all. Have a great day. And I adore you.